So we're in chapter 5 of James, and we're finishing off this book. In some ways, I'm, I'm torn because I, I really love this book, and I really like to go through it slowly, but in other ways, um, it feels like we've been taking a little bit of a beating from James. And so I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's kind of finished, too. Uh, but today we're going to preach from James 5, verses 7 to 20. Um, I'm going to, if you guys have your Bibles, please turn to chapter 5. If you have your phones, if you don't have a Bible, physical copy, we have some in the back. Those Bibles are for you to take home. But I want to read the passage to us today before we get into the scripture, uh, before we get into the sermon. Uh, and I just want to really capture kind of James' heart as he finishes off this book, okay? So let's read verses 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is any among, anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great powers as it is working. Elijah was a man with the nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain, and for three years and six months it did. It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any among, anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father God, we just take a look at your scripture and the words that you have given James to, to the church. And Lord, as we finish off this book, may you take all that we've learned, all that we've absorbed, all that we've been challenged with. And Lord, may you allow us to see, use the scripture as a mirror for us to look at ourselves in a way that you see us. So, Father God, may we fix our eyes on you today. May we fix our eyes on your word. And, Lord, may your word come in and transform the way that we live, the way that we see things, the perspective of, of the world that we have. And, Lord, may we continue to live a life that brings glory to who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're finishing off in James. As you know, James is an epistle, letter. That's what the word epistle means. It's, it's a letter. 
uh, to the church, and it's the church of Jerusalem, and the church in Jerusalem is scattered. And so we look at chapter James, James, look at the book of James. James doesn't finish off his letters like how most of the New Testament letters finish off. Paul typically finishes off with a benediction or a conclusion, but James instead finishes off his letter with an admonition and a call to action. If you look at verses 19 and 20, it says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Growing up, my parents often took us camping. That's kind of the thing that we did at growing up. In the summers, we, I grew up in Alberta, so in the summers, we usually hit up Jasper or Banff. Uh, sometimes we would come into BC, go to the Okanagan, hit up Penticton. Uh, and if my dad was adventurous enough, we would come all the way into Vancouver and we would camp at Golden Years Park. I remember this one summer in Golden Years, we, we came into Golden Years and I was around six years old. And one of the things that I love to do as a kid, and even now sometimes I love doing it with my son, is like I love to go hunting for critters, so like bugs and slugs and, and all those fun things. And BC, we don't really get many slugs, but out here in in, uh, in Alberta, we didn't get many slugs, but BC, we get a lot of these big banana slugs, right? And so as a kid, I was fascinated by these things. I loved picking them up, and like they're slimy and gooey, and it's just so much fun. <laughs> Some of you guys are disgusted by that. But as a six-year-old, it was one of the best things in the world. You could roll them in the mud, and everything just sticks on them. <laughs> but as I... So growing up, my parents always allowed me, to, when we go, went camping, to kind of to, to let me explore a bit. And they're always just like, just keep within earshot of us. Okay, just make sure that, that we could hear you and you could hear us, but you could wander around the campsite and, and, and go explore the campsite. And this one time I was, as I'm, I'm going from spot to spot, seeing little different things, seeing all the new vegetation and growth, and it's so much more tropical down here compared to Alberta. I, I started going from small thing to small thing, and as, as I, I, I was walking from one thing to another, all of a sudden, I found myself in front of a river. And I had no clue where that came from. There's no stream next to the campsite. There's no river or water near, near the campsite. So as a six-year-old, I realized that in my wanderings and my little, little exploring and hunting, I became lost. Not intentionally, but I was definitely not within earshot of my parents anymore. That's what wandering is like. In the passages we just read, James ends this letter with a call to action and warns us about wandering from the truth. And, and I find that this is probably the best way to summarize everything that James has covered in his letters. He talks about how we wander into doubts during trials, wander into temptations, wander into anger and conflict, wander into partiality and prejudice, away from unity and peace, and our dependency with God. These are all things that James covers in his letters, and James is warning us that we all have the potential to wander away from the truth. You see, wandering doesn't happen overnight. It isn't a big dramatic moment or a decision, but it's a series of subtle little lies 
or little self-serving arguments that grow and grow and grow, and then we find ourselves in a place where we have wandered so far that we have no clue as to where or how we got there. So I find these words of James so appropriate for our current spiritual climate. But let's go back to verse 7 first. After addressing all that he's written in his letters and everything that we've studied in James' the epistles, James says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. This is, this is a universal call for God's people. This is a universal call for God's church to be patient because all of us as God's people have called to be in a very uncomfortable place. We're stuck in the middles. Theologians explain this middle place as part of the already and the not yet. That Jesus has already suffered and died and rose again, that the word is already given and that the spirit is already given, but we still live in the not yet, in this place of Sin is not yet completely defeated, and not yet has the world been restored, and not yet has the final kingdom come. So we're called to do a very difficult, very difficult thing, and that is to wait. It's the same thing that Pastor Rich brought out in our communion today, is the aspect of waiting, being patient in our waiting. So James calls for us to be patient until the coming of the Lord. You see, patience is not easy. So James reminds us what to be patient for. Because unless you view it from the perspective of eternity, patience doesn't actually make sense. If there's no forever and we only live for the here and now, it is about what you get now and how to get it fast, and there's no long game in view. The long game is that everything happens now in this moment that we're in his grace is setting up for the glory of eternity. That our wait here will seem very short in light of eternity. Like Alex said last week, 90 years in infinity is still zero. James uses this example of a farmer. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. You see, throughout the Bible, we see analogies and allegories of plants. When you grow a plant, you have to wait. Things don't just happen, and in that waiting, it's not just the, the idea of sitting around doing nothing. In that wait time, there's a radical transformation that is taking place. Waiting is not just about what you will get at the end. Waiting is about what you will become as you wait. The farmer will plant a seed that grows roots, which sprouts leaves, and then flowers, and then produces fruits. God is radically changing your heart. He's using the weight to transform you into the image of God so that your life bears fruit that show his glory. There's purpose in the weight. Do we understand the grace of waiting? There is a grace in patience and it's oftentimes not easy to always understand and to see it, but he, sa he says this, see how the farmer waits. 
And then he goes on and says, you also, as the farmer waits, you also be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What James understands here is that waiting often introduces a war in our hearts. Waiting exposes our hearts to doubt, to questions, um, and to question the goodness of God. We begin to wonder if he is faithful to the promise and we begin to grumble or complain. And we sometimes ask, what's wrong with a little grumbling? Well, God sees grumbling as a direct act of rebellion against him. You see, in Deuteronomy, there was an incident in a story when Israel was on the border waiting to cross the river into the promised land. And the spies that, sent the, that, that they sent out came back and said, this land is filled with giants. And the be people began to grumble. And God saw it and said, this, this is a direct act of rebellion against me. Grumbling is not trusting the sovereignty of God in our lives. As James wrote about our tongues in chapter 3, the tongue is the outflow of our hearts, so grumbling is the outflow of the heart. That means that the real war is inside of our hearts, and the war is about who is sovereign in our lives. Is it God or is it myself? So patience is the attitude of I trust in God's plan and purpose in my life. Just like the prophets understood that it meant to live before God, to trust God so much that they proclaim things in their eyes that their eyes didn't see, but to be faithful in speaking the truth. So James goes on and he says this, he says, Behold, we consider those those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James uses Job as an example of steadfastness. We all know the story of Job, right? Job was tested. He was tested by, by Satan to see how faithful he is to God. And Job, all how we remember Job, we always see Job as someone that passed with flying colors and he was so the man that was able to withstand the testing. But in it, Job complained. He grumbled. Yes, he, he passed. And yes, he, he, was, he was able to, to remain steadfast, right? But yet in that time, God had to continuously encourage him, continuously be there for him. James uses Job because James wanted to show us that even Job, even though Job waited, it was messy. You see, God doesn't mind the messy. In fact, God embraces you in your messy and offers grace. So yes, Job wasn't the perfect picture of waiting, but in the messy, Job never forsake the Lord. Job was steadfast. The one thing that I love about Bible characters are that Bible people are actually humans who have very similar struggles as we do and make very similar mistakes as us. This makes the Bible relatable and not unreachable. You see, steadfastness is a firmness of purpose and direction. God has chosen us to live in a fallen world. 
in that we will experience difficulty. And in these moments of waiting and suffering, we begin to be discouraged. But do we allow these things to begin to dictate the trajectory of where we go? Do we start to begin to let go of the little things like reading our Bible, like prayer? Or do we start stop going to s small groups and then we ask ourselves, why even attend services? All of a sudden, we find ourselves in a place where we have wandered and wondered how we get got there. And the reason we got there is because we compromised. We got there because we had no patience in the time of suffering and the wait is difficult. We make these oaths, but we lose our characters because we lost our heart. So James says, in all of these struggles, all of the messiness of life, of seeking to live the life of faith, in our broken world, it's vital to remember that day after day, again and again, that God is with you and God is for you. How do we remind ourselves of that? James says, if anyone among you is suffering, what? Let him pray. It may seem simple, but James reminds us that prayer puts us in the center of God's heart but it also centers our heart. When you pray, you recognize the sovereignty of God, the presence of God, the power, the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. When you pray, it is spiritual warfare for your own soul. You see, warfare isn't only when you're struggling, okay? Warfare is constant. There is a constant war for your soul. And that war, that war is subtle. It isn't even always spiritual, and it isn't even always suffering. The more subtle warfare actually happens when things are going well. Because when things are going good, we tend to not need God or even give God the credit for the good. What prayer does is that it invites you to fully embrace the reality and the existence of God to remind yourself of the reality of his rule in your life and the reality of his power and his grace. To remember and believe that there's something in this universe more powerful than you could see, touch, or feel. That is beyond your natural senses. So James says, pray. But even in the good times, the cheerful times, sing praise. Because that gives glory to him that allows you to remember the good also comes from him and not something that we conjured up ourselves. James reminds us that it's not just in the good and bad times that we pray, but also to seek for his help. That God in his grace has given us a resource through prayer and through the church. This is God's community project for the church. We all want to do something incredible in our ministries, right? Here is the key to it. It both touches the physical and spiritual. It is about healing. Why does James put this in? Because God provides a ver very, very practical care for us. It says if we're physically sick to go to the elders of the church and ask them to pray and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, the oil isn't anything that's magic, okay? 
like when we say we're going to pray and anoint you with oil, it's nothing that's magic. It's not like, it's, it's very similar to the baptism water. The water's not magic. The water's not going to give you salvation. But the water and the oil is a visible sign to encourage faith. It, so if we're spiritually struggling or, or physically struggling, go to, the, go to the elders of the church. Ask them to anoint you with the oil and ask them for prayer for you. That's why we have the red carpet ministry. That's why we have the ministry to, to, to bring healing. And that's why we're bringing Greg in. All of this is so that the church is equipped to, to, to do healing. That the church is a, is, is a place where we find healing. But it's not just healing for the physical. It's also healing for the spiritual. It says this. If we're spiritually struggling with sin, what does it say? That he will be forgiven. Think about what's being said here. It says, if you've confessed your sins to one another and pray, you will be forgiven and what? Healed. You see, sin has a tendency to hold us down and hold us back. But it says, confess, pray, and it is forgiven. And then healing comes. Right? Take that in for a moment. Confess, pray, and then it's all forgiven. The church is in a place where we're, we find ourselves always falling back into the same sins because warfare tells us that we cannot overcome, that we are weak, that we are sinners, and that we, we deserve the consequences of our sin. When we believe that, then we don't believe that Jesus did it on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross was complete. You see, when you're physically healed, you may have scars, but you don't wear the bandage forever, right? You take the bandage off. The bandage isn't a reminder that we are healed. The scar is, and the scar reminds us not to do something again. But the bandage says we're not healed. And it causes us to stay in the mindset of not being healed. When we look at sin, oftentimes we keep the bandage off and we don't take it. We, we, we keep the bandage on and we don't take it off. And that bandage helps us and reminds us of our sin, but it doesn't allow us to go into a place of healing. The bandage says we are not healed and causes us to stay in the mindset of sin. That's because these things have, we, we, we start coming up with these excuses of things that have happened to us. It's the temptations that were set before me. We start beginning, we begin to nurse the wound instead of allowing things to heal. And James, James says, no, the community, the church community is a place for you to come and receive healing. That's the thing, that this is what the church is for. The church is for healing. It's not a place of judgment. The community of the church is a safe place for people to come forward with sin and ask for forgiveness and not receive condemnation, but to receive the mercy, the grace, and love of God. Western society and culture tells us to keep things to ourselves, keep our sins to ourselves, keep our lives to ourselves. But the kingdom culture tells us that we need to change that. 
and that the church is a place to receive the forgiveness and the healing. Church needs to be a refuge for those that are sick. It is a place for people to encounter the person of Jesus. It is a place where we can rest in the struggle of our patients. So the church has a, has a very powerful call. It calls us to pray. Yes, there is a level of help and outreach, but the power of the church comes through prayer because prayer helps us break through the natural realm and tap into the things that God has for us. Are we living with this in mind? Are we? I want Five Stones to become a place where people could come in to receive healing. I want Five Stones to come become a place where whether you're physically ill or spiritually ill, that this is a place where you can find refuge. This is a place where you can find rest. This is a place where you will be healed. All of this is a call that James tells us that this is what Jesus told us to do. That Jesus healed the sick and Jesus healed all wounds. Then James says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You may not think that we're, you're righteous because <coughs> I'm, I'm not like so-and-so. You might think that, you know what, my life is, is pretty messed up. I'm not like a Bernice or I'm not like um, a Pastor Rich or a Pastor John. I'm not, you know what, none of us are righteous. And that's the thing. Like Elijah, he was a prophet, and he was righteous, but he was not righteous on his own. The righteous man is righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross, and Jesus gave you his righteousness. You can sit there and say, well, I'm not Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He was chosen by God. But I would invite you to study the life of this man. Elijah was a real man. There were moments in Elijah's life where Elijah demonstrated great courage, and there were other moments where he panicked and ran for his life. There were moments when it seemed like Elijah believed that God could do absolutely anything. And there were moments where this man was in suicidal depression. So, so much so that Elijah asked God, if you really love me, take my life. James gives us Elijah because he says, that we could find ourselves somewhere in between great faith and suicidal depression. We all happen to live in somewhere in that middle. Elijah is like us. The power of Elijah's life was not Elijah. The power of Elijah's life was God. That's the lesson. And when we come to God in, in faith, amazing things will happen. You see, there's great comfort in these words because God treats all of his children the same. He treats you the same. He treats Elijah the same. Because all of us, all of our lives, all of us in our struggle of faith, we need the grace of God. And the power that Elijah experienced is the power of God and the power that is available to everyone in this room. You can't pray without thinking about Jesus. You can't pr pray without tapping into his righteousness. 
The prayer of a righteous man comes out because when we pray, we are inviting the person and the presence of the man that makes us righteous. You see what James has done here? He's invited us to consider an entirely new paradigm for living. He says, no longer is my life shaped by the agenda of my wants, my needs, and my feelings, but that God invites me to be a part of his kingdom of God, and we don't need to wait for that, and that we have access to that. So let's go back to those verses that we, we've read, that we will wander. You might be in a place of wandering right now, or you probably know someone who's wandering or has wandered. You see, James gives us a call to, it's not really a rescue mission because it's not up to you to rescue because you cannot actually rescue. The only person that could rescue is Jesus. Jesus is the one that came to forgive and restore and heal. But you are simply helping people come back to the person of Jesus and let Jesus do the rescuing. So he talks about wandering. And all of us could remember a moment where we've wandered. We may not have been wandering far, but we have all wandered. To go back to the story of, of my six-year-old self, I found myself lost. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I called over my parents. They came to hear me. I started to cry. Nobody heard my cries. And so I tried to start tracing my steps back to see where I've become lost. And as I began to trace my step back so I could remember the little rocks, the little stones, the steps that I took to go back to a place where I could see my our campsite and was able to find my, my way home. Where are you in your faith and in your journey with God? Have you wandered to a place where you can't even recognize the stones anymore? Have you wandered into a place where you fail to see the grace and mercy of God? Have you wandered into a place where, where the person of Jesus is not the same person that we, we, we first met when we came into salvation? Do you know friends that have wandered into those same places? Do you have family that have wandered into those same places? My encouragement for us today as a church really is the same as James. First is, in our waiting, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our, 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 hearts, our hearts on Jesus and we do that in prayer. We do that to center ourselves in prayer. Church, I want our church to take the words of James. And I want us to be, be able to remind ourselves and remember all the lessons that James has taught us. Because every single thing that James talks about will cause us to wander. And so today, as we wrap up James, 
I want us to take a moment to check our hearts. I want us to take a moment to see where we've, we've gone. Are there things in your hearts that you're, you're, you're doubting in the goodness of who God is? Are there things in your heart that are doubting the provisions of God? Are there things in your heart that are, are, are in a place where you feel like, God, you're not there? You don't see the suffering that I'm going through. And I want to encourage you to take that to prayer. I want you to take that to prayer and begin to speak Jesus back into those places where your hearts begin to wander. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the words of James. We thank you for this book that you've given us. It's so direct and so, so much, so blunt. And Father God, we just pray that in the scripture that we find ourselves, that in the scripture that we, we, we hold up a mirror to see where we're at in our lives with you. So, Father God, sometimes we may look in that mirror and we don't even recognize ourselves. So, Father God, may you give us your heart and your eyes and how you see us. And, Lord, may you bring back that first love. Bring back, bring us back to that place of knowing who Jesus is and knowing what he did on the cross for us. So, Lord, we thank you. We give all praise and all glory to you. And we live our lives according to how you've called us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just before um, Rich summarizes, I just had something the Lord kind of spoke to me today and that um, we sometimes get this feeling that we've wandered so far and we're never going to find our way back. And I really felt like the Lord, he, he was actually using kind of a, a funny personal story for me, but um, when you find the right path, you go a lot faster. And you know, what the Lord was saying to me is it doesn't matter how far you wander away. You're only one step from coming back. And that doesn't physically make sense or mathematically make sense, but that's the supernatural part of him. And I actually think it's you're three steps away because John laid out those three steps for us. So no matter how far you wander, how far you get away from the Lord, it's confess, it's pray and you're forgiven, and you're right back into the right place. I just think that sometimes the most powerful moments are those quiet moments when the Lord is upon our heart. When Elijah was on the mountain, you know, he was seeking an earth-shaking moment, um, the great wind to come, and a great fire to fall. A lot of times that's our prayer. Lord, I need you to shake this situation, or I need your fire to fall. But God knew that what his soul needed was that quiet moment. And I feel like the Lord really used John this moment, this morning to bring us to that quiet moment that is so transformative and so powerful. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit used our pastor this morning to bring that grace, to bring that restoration and receive Alex's encouragement that it's like the prodigal son, you take one step towards God and he comes running towards you. That's how fast the, the wandering can be broken. So, God, we just thank you this morning 
for your word. We thank you for this series. We thank you for the wisdom that was poured out through James to us. And 2,000 years later, God, it still speaks to us as if he penned it yesterday. Let the seeds that have been sown in our hearts, God, through this series continue to grow, continue to sprout. Let not the enemy come and steal away the truth. But, Lord, let it be buried deep within so that it grows and produces great fruit. We thank you, God, this morning that you're calling us all back to you in a fresh and new way, and we can quickly be with you on the path. We bless you now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, and uh, enjoy God's hand upon you.